Coming up on today's monster edition of the Tomahawk Show, is Eric Reed being targeted by the NFL when it comes to drug testing? And does it ever make sense to fire a coach after just one season? Plus, pardon my takes, PFT commenter joins the show to talk about stealing our take that the Browns are now America's team, and if the rule about fumbling out of the end zone is actually good, which he thinks it is, and we tell him why his take is absolutely incorrect. Plus, did Nat finally win that long-awaited coffee maker. All that and more on another edition of the Tomahawk Show. Joe, Hawk, Natty Ice, Derm, quick question. Does Greg Williams deserve to be Coach of the Year? And then the best sandwich has to be Cajun-style turkey with roast beef with pepper jack cheese melted over top of it on Monterey cheddar bread. Hey, what's up, Tom Hot Gang? Austin from Massachusetts. No, we don't outside like Donnie from Brockton. I'm going out to Cleveland this weekend, so hope to see you guys there in the freezing cold wearing our sick color rush uniforms. See you guys. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tomahawk Show, presented to you by Uninterrupted. Listen, make sure you're hitting us up on social, at Tomahawk Show, on Instagram and Twitter, using our hashtag Tomahawk. Don't forget the H. Don't be an idiot. Make sure you're rating us five stars. We need you to subscribe. There's so many kids around the country who have podcasts that people don't subscribe to, and we don't want to contribute to the problem. So stop what you're doing right now. Open your app, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether you are one of the millions of serial killers who still uses Androids. We're not discriminating. <laughs> we're, just, we're just saying. Open it up. Rate us five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you don't think Android uses the serial killers, tweet us. Tell us about it. Hashtag Tomahawk. At Tomahawk Show. I'm just reading this script that Joe wrote for me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and if you don't know who Joe is, A, welcome to the 20th century. The 21st or 20th century? 21st. The 21st century. 21st. 21st. You got it, Hawk. You got it. I've, I've been frozen for a while, as you couldn't tell. <laughs> Joe Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. The 10-time Pro Bowler. We have so many consecutive snaps between us. I think we were at 10,363. He is the co-host to one of the best podcasts. No, the best podcast in all of sports media. And we're going to get into that a little later on today, which we're excited about. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm having a nice day. You know, it's been a gorgeous weather week in the Midwest for those of you that are enjoying the out of doors. It's been, you know, almost 50 degrees and sunny like every single day in Wisconsin. So wow. when you get that in December, life is really good. I know you wankers out in fucking California, <laughs> you guys complain about 70 degrees, 65. You put your jackets on and you hide inside and go play video games because you guys are antisocial people. But here in Wisconsin, what? we like to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors when it's a warm 45-degree day in December. A warm 45-degree day. If it was 45 degrees in California, they would close the schools. <laughs> Everyone would be off of work. <laughs> there would be a state of emergency issued. All of that. But in, the, in Wisconsin, that's, a good, that's good for a summer day, let alone a December day. 45, yeah. 50 degrees. Zerm, how you doing today, man? 
Um, I'm good. It's been similar weather here in Cleveland. I will say that it hits like 45 and sun, and people are outside in like short sleeves and shorts running. Can I say like, something really quick? Not to no. cut you off, but the to cut you off. The pasty thighs are out. Yeah, yeah go ahead. TD hates when we talk weather. So the fact that we are opening the show talking weather warms my heart, no pun intended. So, Zerm, again, tell me about the weather in Cleveland right now. Yes. Joe started it. Everybody blame mm. Joe. No, mine's not even so much about the weather. It's just about like people in the Midwest who, when it does hit a certain temperature, like 45, if the sun peaks out, it's just literally like I'll see people running in tank tops, and I'll just be like, go inside to a gym. It's not time for that yet. What are you guys doing? Let me tell you about California. When it rains here, people drive. And I didn't know this till recently. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a transplant here in L.A. I'm a... I'm an Ohio guy. I'm a Pennsylvania guy. I'm used to potholes, snow, and cold weather. That's just my thing. So it rained here one day, and I'm thinking nothing of it. I'm getting ready for work. I jump on the highway, and I'm like, man, was there like a 47-car accident on this highway? Why are we at a standstill? Whenever it rains in California, they treat it like snow. People don't know how to drive. There's accidents like every couple of minutes. People pull over to the side. I'm not talking heavy snow or heavy rain. I'm not talking like a downpour. I'm talking a regular normal rain that in Ohio the day literally would not change. They pull over on the side of the highway and they cannot handle the elements, which is a wild thing for me. That's why you guys are so soft out there in California. It's Yeah, yeah. Now, why are you Matt, so soft? You need to out defend here yourself. Well, first of all, I'm not from LA. I'm from San Francisco, which is always like 10 to 15 degrees colder than LA. Oh, okay. So I know how to drive in the Miserable. rain as well. <laughs> But yeah, no, he's right. In LA, every time it rains, people drive like 10 miles an hour on the freeway. It already takes me 40 minutes to get to work. So when it rains, it takes me like an hour and 45 minutes. It's ridiculous. It's all ridiculous out here, California people. Look, we have, a, we have someone who's not from California coming up on the show today. Very, very excited to have him on. He was talking a little mess, and I think he had a little bit of... We might be able to sue him for copyright infringement mm. or... I don't know, plagiarism. I don't know. I just, there's so much to talk about. We got PFT from part of my take over there at Barstool Sports. Joe is a regular on their show. They never quite get me on there for reasons that uh, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of today. Also, we got a bunch of NFL news that kind of just jumped out at us early today that I feel like we'd be a bad podcast if we didn't cover them. So, Joe, where do you want to start at? Well, this was a topic that I saw earlier in the week that really got me interested because the whole drug testing policy in the NFL and the whole uh, drug policy as, as a whole is very interesting to a lot of people because that's a side of the game that doesn't really get talked about a ton. And mm-hmm. I think the common folk get very excited and interested when they understand that as a condition of our employment, a old creepy man can show up at our work at seven in the morning, grab you, Mm. pull you into the bathroom, force you to get completely naked. And when I say completely naked, I don't mean leave your underwear on. I don't mean leave your shirt on. I mean, get completely butt ass naked. And then the ankles, buddy. Face this gentleman less than two feet away. So, like, yep. if there's any spray, it's getting on his shoes. Maybe his his pants. You can't. You can't face the side. You're you not to allowed to him. face the side. You're not allowed. Are to you face humiliated? Are you, listeners, are you humiliated yet? We're just getting started. Keep going, Joe. So you're literally standing two feet away from a person, no toilet in sight, and you're completely naked. He's within 
four feet. His eyeballs are within four three. feet of your private three. area. There's a couple of them that were three feet. Some, some of them violate the three-foot warning zone. That's like inside the warning track, which uh, <laughs> that's cause for dismissal if it gets out. But they stand there as you provide your sample, which is what they say, which mm-hmm. is what us in the business call peeing into the cup. <laughs> and then you give him the cup, which, of course, they never wear gloves, which creeps me out. Yep. But I guess they handle so much pee during the week that it doesn't even bother them that they're just yep. covered in filth. And then you, <laughs> you walk over to his little like table that he sets up. And uh, they pour the pee in there and they make sure that the specific gravity is right and the pH and the temperature and blah, blah, blah. And they record it. They pack it up into a FedEx box and they send it on their merry way to go get tested at an unknown lab and only the NFL knows where. This happens. They make like three cocktails too at the table. So it's not just like you hand me the, the cup we put in a box. No, they take the, the amount you put in the regular cup. They have three other cups there. They pour a little bit into each one, and there's little, this little device that measures the density or something of your urine. They put like four drops in it. It comes up back in number, and they say, ooh, man, you're hot. You need to hydrate more. And I'm like, okay, thanks for the small talk. <laughs> and then they take the other three cup, the other three urine cocktails they've made, and they seal those up, and they have you write the date on it with your name and write it on this one and write it on that one because if the urine is too clear, they can't use it. If it's too dark, they can't use it. So there's a middle ground. That your urine has to be in that that makes it just right for testing. So after they box up the three cups, they put it there. They put tape on it. You mark everything off. Your hands are filthy. Their hands are filthy. You can't put your shirt on yet. No. And then they take a picture of your face with an iPad. Yes. To make sure you're the right person. <laughs> Which that's my favorite part because they don't let you do anything. It's like a passport photo. You're not allowed to smile. You're not allowed no. to smirk. You're not allowed to like cross eyes. You can't do anything. You have to just stand there like a mugshot with your shirt off. Uh, from a, if, one foot away with an iPad, if we, which is if when we get awkward. to heaven, if when we get to heaven, God could pull up your twenty worst photos you've ever taken in your life. <laughs> I can guarantee you, all twenty of them will be from the twentieth drug test that we've taken because they are the worst photos ever. Like if they ever got out, is Joe's photo the selfie that he took while he was live tweeting um, the game the other <laughs> yes. night? Is that what you're? Uh, I can your almost guarantee like? you that. I can almost guarantee you that photo is better than any drug test. <laughs> photo they, they the ipad is like four four inches from your face when they take it it is so it, it's it's a very it's a very very bad experience but continue Joe. so this the experience takes between eh, 20 and 30 minutes a lot of times you have to kind of work around your meeting schedule because an nfl day is really jam-packed you got a lot going on between meetings and lifting and practice and practice prep so you don't have a whole lot of time in your day for these drug tests so a lot of times it's it's a minor inconvenience and you know, when you're early on in your NFL career, you're not used to the invasiveness of it. Like I said, the, the nudity, how close you have to stand to the person, how you have to face them and all the uncomfortable things that kind of violate all the social there. norms. Um, but by the time you're, you know, Hawks seven, eighth year in the NFL, you're just kind of bored with it and you're over complaining yeah. about it and you just deal with it. <laughs> well, there's you and the guy have developed a relationship like yeah, he's like been to your buddies. parents house and. He, He's like, hey, Rick, how you doing? He, hey, he Andy, knows what every, head to the bathroom. Yeah, let's do it. Every person on the team looks like <laughs> naked, which is not exactly a nice spank bank to have in your mind when you're a, a oh, 75-year-old man. Or maybe it is. I'm not sure. I haven't got into the mind of a urine cocktailologist, also known as a <laughs> drug tester. But the whole point of this conversation was that Eric Reed, one of the original national anthem kneelers, just got signed by the Panthers during the season. 
And he mentioned, I don't know if this was a tweet or how it got out, but basically that he's been drug tested randomly seven times in the 11 weeks since joining the Panthers. And for those of you that don't know, there's two times during the season that everybody in the team gets drug tested. Um, one is between 420, which is April 20th, coincidentally enough, and <laughs> training camp. You get a perform or a substances of abuse, they call it. So that's like your weed, cocaine, whatever, all street drugs that Nat does uh, on mm-hmm. Halloween. Then <laughs> yeah. you always have another one during training camp, which is like, 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm not kidding you. So during training camp, your days are pretty jam-packed from basically 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night. Or 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. You have mm. stuff almost the entire time. You would get back to your room about eh, 10, 30, 11 at night after meetings. And you'd have a few hours to sleep before you have to get back up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. For usually about 6, 6.30, you have to get into the building. Well, this drug test has to happen in your free time. It can't happen during the training camp day. So it happens at like four in the morning. They call your room and wake you up from your beautiful slumber. And they march you down the hall with the other prisoners and make you do the whole get naked, pee in a cup routine um, at like 4 a.m. So it really sucks, but everybody's got to do it. So you deal with it, right? So there's those two times during the season uh, that you're guaranteed to be drug tested because the whole team does it. Then the rest of the season there is random drug tests. So every day, let's say not every day, but uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think is what the days they're allowed to drug test you. So three days a week, the NFL randomly collects samples from like 10 guys. Mm -hmm. So if you do the math on that, I don't know what it comes out to be, but basically Eric Reed's been tested five times in 11 weeks and him or somebody around him has complained and they think that, the NFL is targeting him by harassing him for repeated random drug tests since he's joined the Panthers, sort of in retaliation for his kneeling stance during the national anthem, which a lot of people in the NFL have uh, scoffed at. And a lot of people in the league have, uh, according to the collusion case that's being filed right now, um, tried to keep him out of the league because of his uh, kneeling during the national anthem. Now, which gets us to the question in the conversation. Mr. Hawkins, do you mm-hmm. believe that the NFL is deliberately targeting Eric Reed for his filing of a grievance against the NFL for the uh, keeping him out of the league for the protest? Or do you think this is just random that he's been drug tested, which seems like a lot since he's joined the Panthers? <laughs> Seven times in 11 weeks, randomly. Well, I that think- is like the... Like, th- that makes zero sense. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I think There's- that two of those were his required ones because he wasn't on a team until he signed with the Panthers. I'm assuming one of those was his yearly substance of abuse. One was the yearly uh, performance enhancing. And then five randoms, I'm guessing. Or maybe it's all seven randoms. I'm not sure. But it seems like a high number. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. The, well, I'm looking at the numbers from my good friend, uh, Mike uh from Bleacher Report, Mike, my good friend, um, Mike. <laughs> very good friend, Michael. What was his? What did you say, say his, his last, last name? name. Uh, Tanier Smith. Is that how you Smith. say it? Sounds right. That's how you say it. Tanier Tanier? Smith. Tanier Tanier. <laughs> it's uh, French, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, he's a French guy from uh, Bleacher Report. Anyway, he has the numbers that I retweeted. Randomly getting selected one time, you have about a thirty-five percent chance. Mm-hmm. Randomly getting selected twice, you have a twenty-seven percent chance. 
randomly getting selected three times is a 12% chance, four times, roughly a 3.5% chance, five times, 0.68% chance, six times, 0.087% chance, seven times, 0.0072% chance of being selected seven times, which if that is the case, he needs to be playing a lottery every open minute he has that he is not on the football field because he may be the luckiest human in all of North Carolina right now. Mm. So I don't think it's random, A. Mm. I also think it's very, very weird that it's always on a game day because I don't think I've ever been drug tested on a game day. He's been drug tested on game day? That's not even allowed well, under that, the collective bargaining it, so it, agreement. I don't know if this last one was on game day, but he had posted a like. It looked like he got to his locker after the Monday night uh, football game, and they had a notice that he needed to be drug tested. And it said, if you go to Eric Reed's Twitter, the the notification says ASAP. Like, so he had just come off the field and gotten to his locker, and that's where he saw the note. <laughs> it's like. I don't know. I I, I got to get the details. I was assuming, I, from what I understood, they were like on game days that he was coming back to his locker and he was having notices after the game of him having to take drug tests. <laughs> All right. So my take on this is that if he is being tested on game day and right after the Monday night football game, there's no way that's random because I've never even heard of that before. That's insane <laughs> that they Literally would test him right after a, a game. But I'm. We could be wrong. I, I feel wrong, like right? that's misinformation being spread because there's Maybe. people that have a dog in this race, and they definitely don't like the NFL, and they're on Eric Reed's side on all this. Me personally, I think the numbers are being skewed a little bit because if ten guys are being tested every day on the team, that's one in five, so that's a twenty percent chance each week. And then out of eleven weeks, I'm not a math guy, but I'm saying that the chances of him being tested seven weeks out of eleven is probably closer to like five or seven percent. Now it's still low, but I don't think that it's point zero 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 one or whatever it was, according to uh, your good friend Mike. Yeah, who is an analytics and yeah. former math professor. So yeah, I take your math over it. I take your math, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to ride with you on that one. <laughs> Quick update on this thing. So Eric Reed at he posted this notice after the game. It was at 11:39 p.m. after the Monday Night Football game. He posted a picture of the notice hanging in his locker, and that was a home game for the Panthers. So I'm assuming this was right when he went to the locker room after the game. He had uh, it, the notice. It's dated 12:17:18, which was Monday. So um, anyway, that's crazy. Yeah. See, I guess I don't understand that. Um, I've never heard in my career of a player being tested after the game. So he definitely has a case if that's uh, the true facts of the situation. As far as the conspiracy theory goes, it seems like every player that gets randomly tested more than a couple times, all of a sudden they immediately start bitching that, oh, this isn't random anymore. You know, A lot of it is the guys that think they're pretty muscular. They're big, strong guys. Oh, the NFL saw me in the weight room, so now they're randomly drug testing me all these times because they think I'm on steroids. And generally, I think it's just guys that don't like being drug tested because nobody likes being drug tested. It's a pain in the ass. Uh, in this case, I don't see a reason for the NFL to risk, if they actually were targeting him, that getting out. It's just too much of a risk. So if it was coordinated from whoever in the NFL that wanted to get back at Eric Reed, and it got out, because he can file a lawsuit, I'm pretty sure. They, he can file a grievance with this. And if they find out that Roger Goodell was directing the drug program to test somebody to try to harass them, he would lose his $40 million a year lawyer gig that he currently has. And he would 
be, be tarnished forever. The league would be tarnished. There's just no reason that they would intentionally target this guy with random drug tests over and over again, thinking that that reward that they would get from just harassing him moderately with drug testing would outweigh the enormous risk the NFL would be taking on to try to coordinate this random uh, targeting, which is not random, this random drug test, which targets Eric Reed. So I'm not buying that. It's anything more than just random, unless he was tested right after the Monday night game, which I don't even understand. I've, I've heard a lot of naive takes from Joe Thomas. That may be the all-time naive. <laughs> Man, I never thought I'd see the day where the checks that Joe Thomas is clearing made you a company man. Thank you. It's like, why would the NFL the ever do something? paying me a lot of money to say this. That's just my, uh, <laughs> my quick take this, after that was this over. Take is brought to you by <laughs> the this take is brought to you by Roger Goodell. He paid me $10,000 to say those things. Yeah, I just don't think there's any statistical way that Eric Reed being drug tested seven of 11 weeks, especially if it's on game day, which we're not 100% sure of, I don't think there's any way that's random. I've never been tested seven times in a year my entire career just on regular days throughout a season, let alone in an 11-week span. There was one time, though. Joe, who was the who was the kid that was like balls to the wall every practice? He was a DN. You Bonesaw? guys hated – Huh? You're talking about Bonesaw? S- Is that uh, Scott who? Solomon? Yes. Was he a white guy? White dude, balls yeah. to the – he never stopped. Scott it Solomon. was 24-7, walked through a game. He had one speed constantly. People hated going against him. I want to say he got drug tested like twice a week, and it was like a very similar thing. He was like, man, this doesn't feel random at all. (laughs) Every week he would come over and show me the tab where they were still drug testing him. I do remember there was like five weeks in a row where he got popped. It was pretty funny, too, because he was getting (laughs) pissed. It's like I just said, when you're a rookie or when you're a young player in the league, you get so mad when you get drug tested and you think there's a big conspiracy against you. But by the time you're old, you don't really care anymore. And you're just like, eh, let's get it over with. Yeah, just whip it out. Just whip it out. And here you go, Mr. uh, What did we call him earlier? The urine cocktailologist. (laughs) Urine cocktailologist. (laughs) Here's my shirt. Hold my beer. What a what a job! All right, Zerm, you want to put in an application, Zerm? How would you? How much would they have to pay you, Zerm, to test uh, NFL players' urine and gather the samples the way we just described? <laughs> so to be honest with you, not a lot. Like I think I would do oh it for God. not very much money. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Wow. How much is not very much? We're finding no, out I mean, a lot like, about Zerm. Very happy. <laughs> well, you're either really podcasts. desperate, or there's some things about you that we don't know that maybe we should know. Right. That maybe. Well, what, what are we talking? Like if it's six figures, yeah, I'm doing it. I don't think these guys are making What's, six figures. What, that is a lot of money. And what is your minimum? That's what we're talking about. What is the yeah, least is the amount minimum? of money per hour? Per hour that you do this for? Per hour? Yeah, hourly, yeah. I have a flat rate, 30 an hour. Oh, okay. Um, for a couple hours of work? Yeah, you know, there's worse jobs in the world. <laughs> no doubt. There's no doubt that there's yeah. people in this world that are doing things that are much more horrible than being a uh, urine cocktailologist, but yeah. I'm not sure there's many in America. Let's just put no. it that way. No, it's definitely bottom 3% of jobs. Like Legal literally jobs, just urine on your hands constantly of other people mm. that you've watched just put it there. Mm. Like, yeah. Well, right, at least well, you know where it came from. Better than the urinal at the stadium where you just have no idea who who, who placed it there. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting story. My kids were playing at, I won't name the establishment oh, here in Los Angeles, but it's a kid's place. And we went there one time last week, and it was so fun. There was like, there was a ball pit. There was a castle. They had a guy come in there with a microphone. They did like a kid's dance party. So some lady stops my wife 
last week and was like, hey, your son is really, really cute. Does he want to meet some Nickelodeon stars? I feel like they would love his look. There's this yada yada. She doesn't know what it is, so she goes. Oh, man, that's a trap for sure. It's I a, definitely It's a Nickelodeon wouldn't. audition, right? Oh, and that's a trap. We're not into, like, the kid stars thing. So she was like, well, how she was saying it, she said it like they were going to meet Nickelodeon stars. But it was really she liked his look, and they wanted him to show up to this Nickelodeon audition. And she's like, but they're all excited, so I have to do something. So I'm like, well, take them back to blank place where it was. They had so much fun. Give them something. They're expecting. They're expecting a fun time. You have to come through, follow through with it. She's like, okay, cool. They get there. They come back. They meet me afterwards. The kids run in the door. My daughter is like, daddy, somebody pooped in the castle. Oh, my. And my son is like, yeah, it was all over her arms. So there was a kid that went into one of the play castles, took a dump, and there's other kids playing. And now it was on, like, her shirt. And my wife comes in with the most pissed. It was the most pissed. I was so upset. A- and they're kids. They don't care. They're like, yeah, we cleaned it off. It's all good. I'm like, no, we're never going back there. Do you understand that? Well, that is never a place we're ever stepping foot again. Isn't it funny that kids like will get pissed off if you try to feed them pizza at night? They'd be like pissed, and this is this is gross. That's disgusting. But they get poop all over their arm, and they don't even think twice about it. Somebody That's why else's poop at that. Kids are the worst. Kids are more of the story. Kids are the worst, man. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at Toyota. Toyota isn't just a car company. And the new podcast, Toyota Untold, isn't just about cars. It's about mobility. It's about overcoming challenges like me trying to ease up on the soda, helping people move physically, socially, and emotionally. It's about finding solutions like we try to do for Nat's horrible hot takes. When you think Toyota, you think sustainability, triumph, facing fears, celebrating life, and rethinking what's possible. In Toyota Untold, you'll hear unique and insightful behind-the-scenes stories, such as how a son's love for his mother led to Toyota's unlikely origin as an automated loom company, why and how a Toyota Tundra was used to tow a space shuttle through the streets of L.A., and how robotics, other advanced technologies, and mobility services are being researched and developed to address challenges for the elderly, disabled, and even Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Discover how Toyota is rethinking mobility in the brand new podcast, Toyota Untold. You can find Toyota Untold right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, now back to the show. Another story, Joe. Steve Wilkes. On on Pro Football Talk, I read that it is a foregone conclusion that people believe that Steve Wilkes, the first-year head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, is going to get fired at the conclusion of the season. This one does not sit well with my spirit, Joe. What's your take on it, man? I hate it. Ah, oh, thank God. It's so, so dumb. It's it's ridiculous. Now, we said on this very podcast, which is a huge humble brag, which is something we like to do occasionally on the Tomahawk Show, but we yeah. said the worst job opening of the season was the Arizona Cardinals. They yes. had just lost their quarterback. They didn't know what they were going to do there. And that alone, if I was a head coaching candidate, I would say I'm not going anywhere where they don't know who's going to be that quarterback. Their defense is not as good as it had been. They're, they've lost players. They got rid of Tyron Matthew. Their offense, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald's there, but he's in his 15th season, so he's not the player he once was. They really don't have a lot of talent and weapons. Yeah, they have David Johnson, but other than that, there's just not a lot of pieces right there. And then you have a team that doesn't always give a lot of financial support uh, from an ownership standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it just was a recipe for disaster. And then you have a rookie head coach in Steve Wilkes who – 
We don't even know if he's doing a good job or not because he's been there less than one year. He doesn't have a whole lot of talent. He's got a rookie quarterback that they're trying to play and trying to learn. And he's actually gone 3-11, and 11 and they that's not that bad. Yeah, it's the worst record I mean, in the league, but – Hey, you and I were part of some pretty bad teams. <laughs> I, was I was on a one in fifteen team, and they didn't fire the coach right away. So I'm not saying say, that's the have, right move, but it's happened before. We've had three records that were equal to or worse than that in the last four seasons. That's nothing. Like in your first year, that's actually looking up. But like you said, we talked about in this division, they had the San Francisco 49ers, who have Kyle Shanahan was a hot coach. They just signed Garoppolo to a huge deal. Their season would be better if he was still around, but there was, like, a lot of good feelings around that. Then you had the Seattle Seahawks, who have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The fourth division team is McVay and the Rams, another hot team. So there was before taking this job, you realized it was a terrible job. Whoever got this job, it was going to go bad because you're not you're the worst in your division, guaranteed. And on top of that, you don't have any talent. Patrick Peterson was asking for a trade. You got rid of Tyron Matthew. David Johnson was coming off of an injury. You drafted a receiver early. Larry Fitzgerald is there, but like you said, he's in his 15th year. It, there were just so many things that we all knew. Like, no one is surprised at the outcome that the Arizona Cardinals have brought to the table. But if you're going to fire a guy in the first year, what was even the point of bringing him in? Exactly. Like, and, and we don't know anything behind the scenes that's going on, but it just seems stupid. It seems like a cop-out. It seems like you're blaming the bad season on bad coaching, which I don't care what coach you brought in there. Mm-hmm. They were not going to be good, period. There was a point in the offseason last year, they didn't even have a quarterback on the roster. Literally, there was not a quarterback on the roster, not <laughs> one at one point. So you're telling me you're surprised that you're 3-11? and Are you serious? Makes zero sense. So I had to deal with the one-year-and-done coaching uh, situation once when I had Rob Chizinski and one of some of my middle ages in the NFL. And I thought it was really unfair because typically what happens is you hire a coach and then the coach is going to sit down with the owner and the GM and those management type people. And they're going to lay out like a four-year plan essentially. And so a lot of times the decisions that you make in the first year are not meant to maximize wins in the first year. A lot of times you're going to save salary cap space. You may not going to draft at certain positions because maybe this year's draft is not as good. And you know you need that position, but you don't want to reach to make this year's team better at the at the cost of two, three, four years down the line. So you're, you're trying to put together this long-term strategy with a coach. So you need to give them time to be able to put this strategy in place And one year is just not enough time to see this strategy through, whatever his strategy is. And I just think it's unfair. I don't think you should have ever hired a guy if you're saying after a year, we've seen enough. Unless there's just something like horrific and tragic that we don't know about with Steve Wilkes. It seems by all accounts, there hasn't been too much crazy drama. There there hasn't been like players not being held accountable. Like some of those really big issues that... Yeah, if they popped up and all of a sudden we realized this guy's really a horrible coach and we need to get rid of him, we just haven't seen that. And it just seems like they're mad at him for not turning it around when they don't have the players. You can't expect somebody who's working with inferior ingredients to give you a three-star Michelin dinner. And I think that's the problem right now. They gave him yes. uh, the Walmart groceries and he was <laughs> not able to come up with the Michelin star dinner and they are going to fire him over it, which is total bullshit. I couldn't agree more, man. Look at that. The phone is ringing. Our guy PFT is calling in. Let's 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 see what he's doing here. 
And now it's my distinct pleasure to introduce everybody to our good friend here from Barstool Sports. We have PFT with the number one podcast in the world. Pardon my take. A guy that I've had the opportunity to enjoy a few Super Bowl parties with and uh, even been on their podcast that was very gracious to offer me up as a, a guest. And someday it'd be great to be able to have Mr. Hawkins on there too, but we digress here. So PFT, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we, we did offer Hawk to come on, but Joe was like, no, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to tell him that part of it. No, no, I'm kidding. We would love to have uh, Hawk on at some point. I actually used to listen to uh, to you when you were on the Jay Moore show back in the day. You were like oh, one of his favorite cool. one of his favorite guests that he would have on. I was like, this guy's cool. I liked him. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely have you guys both on hopefully together at some point. Yeah, How about this little, Super little Bowl week, Super Bowl week when the Browns are playing the Bears in the Super Bowl. We'll have both <laughs> you guys on. Nice. So I don't know if we'll ever get on the podcast because I don't know if the Bears are going to get there. Do you think the Bears That's are going to be good this year? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. The defense is really, really good. The uh, you know, as Mitch Trubisky goes, so goes the Bears. Kind of, if he plays an average game, then they're really, really tough to beat. And if they get home playoff games. <laughs> Uh, then that's going to be an issue. But it looks like they'll probably have to go through at least New Orleans uh, at some point. So that, that's going to be a problem, I think, for them. But, yeah, they're a good team, man. That defense, they're just shit-pumping people. Like Khalil Mack, I don't know what you can do about him. Um, and they've got some good linebackers. The rookie is playing really, really well, too. So Big Cat's feeling confident. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pump up the Bears as much as possible because the best part of our show – is when Big Cat is very depressed about one of his teams losing. So the, the more hope I can give him and convince him that the Bears are a mortal lock to, wait, to, to make the Super Bowl and maybe even win it, um, then the better the heartbreak's going to be at the other end. Makes for incredible content. Another team you talked about, you guys declared that the Browns are America's team. Um, a hot take that was also given by the Tomahawk Show years ago, weeks ago, months ago, you pick it. A... What makes you what what was the the deciding factor to make you feel like the Browns are America's team? And B, did you get that from the Tomahawk show? It's well, it's a good point. I it's great that you guys came up with that a while ago, but now that the coastal elites like myself are saying it, uh, then it, then it really starts to catch on at that point, you know? Um, right. I think that uh, it's it's less well, it's less about the Browns getting the title and more about the Cowboys losing it. But I've just been waiting to take it away from the Cowboys for so long because they had, I guess they laid claim to it for a while because they're run by a bunch of idiots that don't know what they're doing for the last 25 years. So that's kind of like America's team right there. Uh, but I, I just don't know how they've been able to hang on to that title this long. And the Browns are probably the most fun team in the NFL. They're so fun to root for. Um, you've got, you finally have a good left tackle on the team. So right. that's, you know, Big everyone's, everyone's gravitating towards them. They've got everything. They got Baker. Um, you know, Baker is just an electric dude. We had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to him for a while. And it's it's pretty obvious after spending, you know, just a few minutes with the guy why he's kind of uh, why he's kind of taken over that team and why he's become a leader just as a rookie. Um, and then you got a guy that made millions through insider trading, too. He's no longer on the team, but still, that's very American as well. Um, and then you got a coach, Greg Williams, who, who couldn't love interim Greg. Uh, like he's, you know, he's coming off the bounty. He's coming off the bounty controversy. It's a miracle that you guys got him considering all the other offers he had out there. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Greg's a fun guy. I used to watch him when he was coaching, uh, coaching the defense for the Washington Redskins back in the day. And um, it, you're obligated in the media to say that 
Greg Williams is going to dial up some blitzes. You have to use those <laughs> exact words. He's going to dial something up this week. Who knows what he's going to dial up? And then I'll have his safety playing like 40 yards off the line of scrimmage uh, out in no man's land, just waiting to, to be, what do they call that? Like the angel safety or whatever he calls it. Um, they're, they're just a fun team, man. Like everything, every single level of that team is entertaining to watch. And it sucks that you guys didn't win those close games at the start of the year because although you're still in the playoff hunt technically, and we are rooting for that tie for uh, Indianapolis, Tennessee, mm. is that is that what it has to be? Yes, it has to be a tie. There needs to be some losing, and then that has there has to be the tie at the end. Yeah, so we're we're still rooting for that. We're still in the game here, um, but it it just sucks that those you know there were a couple of losses at the start of the year that could have put the Browns in a really really good position, but. The silver lining is if you're rooting for any two teams to tie, I think it would probably be the Colts and the Titans that would be most likely to tie the way that Vrabel yeah. and, uh, and Reich are, are, are coaching. You know, they go for it, but a lot of times, especially if it's getting close to the end of the game or overtime, they'll make some gutsy calls that might not always work out for them. Yeah, you mentioned you, you had Baker on your show. Um, what do you think his career is going to look like in 10 years? Hall of Fame. Put the jacket on him now. Start measuring. Mm -hmm. um, oh. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess a lot depends on who his next coach is going to be, and we, we certainly tried to pull that out of him as best we could. Uh, I mean, Kitchens, the way that he's calling these games, I, I don't know where he came from. He's a first-time play caller. I don't know where he's getting the balls to, to coach like this, but he's fun. He calls interesting plays, and uh, he puts his guys in, in good positions. So I don't know. I think I think Baker's future is definitely going to be linked into whoever they get next. I personally would like to see Bruce Arians just because Sherwin-Williams is located in, uh, in Cleveland, and he yeah. loves to drink paint. So <laughs> I think that that's a match made in heaven. No, um, although, I mean, Arians is – listen, he is a, he's a great coach. He's not for everybody. I don't know how he would get along with Haslam um, as his owner. He tends to do things his own way. He needs a, an owner that will kind of like sit back and be like, okay, Bruce is sitting at his desk with two handles of Crown Royal for the next 18 hours, and when he comes out, he's going to have some crazy plays, and we're just going to let him do what he does. Uh, so I, I don't know if Haslam's the kind of owner that would just kind of let uh, Arians kind of cook on his own. Um, if not Arians, then obviously like looking at – you know, college guys. That's like, that's the new hot thing. It's college almost, guys. yeah, it's almost to the point where uh, the pendulum's about to swing back the other way, where everybody wants like a Sean McVay, but there's like one Sean McVay. That's why his name's Sean McVay, but you can't just find these guys that run these motion offenses everywhere that'll, you know, always succeed. So you're going to, you're going to get a lot of crappy in, uh, college style coaches making their way to the NFL in the next like three or four years that aren't going to work out. So I would actually, try to find a, a really solid offensive coordinator and then hire a defensive guy if I were in your position, if you can't get Arians. But your problem with finding a good offensive coordinator is they leave because everybody wants hot, young offensive coordinator. So if he comes in and he dows it up with Baker, then he goes and gets a head coaching job in a year or two, and then we're back to square one. So you kind of really have to point the board and just go for the young that. offensive coordinator as the head coach. Yeah, just give it to Cliff Kingsbury. Just Cliff. be like, okay, Cliff, <laughs> Come, come! I know you weren't great as a head coach in college, but you're fun, and uh, and guys will want to play with you. I think Baker, he's got like a history with Cliff. I don't know if yeah. they're Baker um, left the you know, university. Not a good history. He would I'm give sure they could mend those fences. I'm sure, it'll go great with Cliff and Baker. <laughs> I'm gonna toss a name out there. Fireworks. And this is this is a safe space, okay? So I can say whatever I want, and you guys can. Yeah, we're not uh, recording. No this, judgment. So say whatever you want. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Mike Leach. 
<laughs> I actually am a huge yeah. Mike Leach fan. I know. How how awesome would he be as a coach at the NFL level? I mean, just the press conferences alone, um, it, it would be great. I think he could do some fun stuff, but, that, I mean, that's not going to happen because, honestly, I don't think that Mike Leach could find Ohio on a map. I think he just knows how to get from his home into his office and then to the stadium and then back to his office, then home. Um, so that would be a guy like that would be fun though. He's one of my favorite things about football. What's your favorite thing about football? I said, Mike Leach is one of my favorite things about football. Yeah, he's all right. So you, you get a lot of guys in the NFL game who are still players that come on your podcast, but is there one coach or administrator that you'd just love to get on pardon my take? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, one coach or administrator. I mean, I think we'd like to get Saban on there just as a challenge, you know, like we've had, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of success having, you know, buttoned up guys that maybe aren't the most soundbite friendly dudes kind of opening up to us on the show. I think Saban is like the boss level boss video game master of, uh, of coaches that will just want to get in, get out and not say anything. I don't why he would come on our show basically the only shot that we have at Saban is if one of his children listen to our program and they tell him that you have to go on the show people will love it and then he'll do it like as a favor for them that's how we got I think uh Kirk Ferentz or Ferentz I forget how you pronounce it. either way you pronounce it you're going to offend half of Iowa but um mm. the, we, we, I was coach on there and uh it was I think through his son or daughter so um if if Nick's daughter or I don't know if he has any sons I know he has a daughter if she listens to the show um, tell Saban, tell your dad to come on and uh, and we'll have some fun with him. So he would be a lot of fun. This show, his dad, yeah. You think Saban listens to the show? Yeah, so that he can yeah, figure out whether or not University of Toledo head coach. And since I went to Toledo, he listens to every episode. There you go. I I was thinking that he listens to the show so he could figure out for himself whether or not Alabama could beat the Browns because <laughs> neither, just, we haven't gotten to the bottom of that one just yet. We're still working on it. <laughs> So it's be, like our Oppenheimer project. That's like the nuclear bomb project from back in the 40s for uh, for sports journalists is trying to figure out whether or not that would work. Or if you guys can turn one of your kids into a top recruit, you might be able to get them on the show. That's you true. Turn I, one of your children into a five-star. I need to start having sex. To to the show. Yes, that would be <laughs> one of that process. I need to find the most athletic, tall woman on the planet and then and then uh, make love to her repeatedly until we, we develop a child because I'm way too short. <laughs> And unathletic to uh, to have any on my own. That's not true, man. I'm only five seven. You're five seven. Five seven. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good. Good point. How much do you weigh? Uh, right now, a buck eighty. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're thick. You're thick like me. Okay. I'm five eight, one ninety. You're, pro- you're probably a little faster than I am. But how many star recruit were you, Hawk? I don't think Nick Saban was coming to your house in Johnstown to recruit you. He was, but he was asking for directions. Like, hey, son. <laughs> how do I get back to the highway? <laughs> yeah. So, made a wrong turn. PFD, who do you think would be the most boring coach to get on your show that you just wouldn't be able to crack no matter how you twisted him? That's Nick Saban. Uh, the same answer. Yep. No, no, Nick. See, he'll give you some answers, though. But there's got to be somebody that's even more boring. Like, I don't know, Pat Shermer. That guy... We, I had him as a coach, and I saw him do the uh, the starting gate at, like, the Belmont Stakes. Did you guys see that? It was, like, the most uninspired speech that I've ever seen in my life. I feel like if he got on your show, it would, he'd be a tough nut to crack. I think you're probably right. Shermer's even got a boring name. Just hearing his name, I, I like, <laughs> halfway through as a server. Um, I'm thinking, um, I mean, Saban, yeah, Saban could go one way or the other. It, you know what we do with, with Saban if we had him on? 
we'd just start feeding him rat poison and just telling him how great he was and how great all of his players are and how they're never going to lose a game and get him fired up that way. Um, I actually think our theory about Nick Saban is that he pays columnists to write bad things about Alabama so that he has bulletin board material because he can't get it naturally. Uh, but so besides Saban as being a, a tough nut to crack, I don't know. Um, I feel like Jason Garrett would be pretty bad because he just stare at us and just clap the whole time. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tomlin might be bad. Mike Tomlin might be a bad coach to have because no one would understand what the hell he was talking about. I mean, it would sound cool when he said it, but then you can't have a conversation with him because he's talking about cutting off his eyelids and like, uh, and you know, you can, you can make me a steak that you can make me a steak out of belly button lint, but the blood's not going to run down my jaw. And then I'll be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Coach. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things now is just come up with things that, that Mike Tomlin hasn't said yet, but got to beat him to the punch. Yeah. Have you guys ever had beef? I feel like you guys, since you take a lot of hard lines and, and make a lot of jokes that I feel like you probably have a lot of beef in the sports industry and media world. Do you have, do you have beef like real life beef? Has anyone ever confronted you up close and personal? Like, yo, we have an issue. Let's, let's figure it out right now. Uh, yeah. Nyquist, the horse. We, uh, we bullied Nyquist the horse off Twitter. He had a Twitter account a couple years ago, and we invited him <laughs> up to the show, and then he big-timed us. The horse mm. tweeted us and said, uh, you'll have to go through my management team. And we were like, mm. can, we, hey, can I cuss on your show? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were like, Pretty fuck game. you, Nyquist, you <laughs> stupid horse. And, and uh, That was more than you could take, huh? Yeah, then we started attacking him on Twitter uh, every other day. And he eventually just logged off forever and deleted his account because uh, he was getting bullied by us on Twitter. So um, that was a wild time. So Nyquist the horse would be up there. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Colin Coward. So we've got – here's the thing about us. We, when, we're, when we're friends with you, we have your back for life. And we've got Baker's back against Colin Coward because Colin's a moron, I think. And uh, also it's good just to have radio wars going. It's good to have enemies in the media. Yes. Because that's good for both sides, you know. You, right. you get uh, you get the takes really cranked up that way. That's an old like our rivalry of like who gets the number one podcast title, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth, because that's all anyone ever talks about. It's a tomahawk. Is it part of my take? Like exactly. Same thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Manufactured beef is great, no matter what the <clears> FDA tells you. I I would say that uh, Cowherd is definitely another guy that we've had beef with. Um, trying to think who else recently. We've been going back and forth with a few people, but most of it is is lighthearted. I mean, Darren Ravel is, is a classic one. We're, we're hot and we're cold with Darren. It's just like, you know, a torrid romance between me and him. Mm. Um, he's known Big Cat for a while. I've never really liked Darren. I've kind of warmed up to him a little bit recently because he is, he's become a little bit self-aware. So Darren is a big nerd. He basically regurgitates press releases from any Fortune 500 company that wants to do their marketing. They have meetings and they're like, how are we going to get the word out about this new uh, pretzel wrapped around a hot dog deep fried in funnel cake batter that we're selling uh, out in left field at the new uh, ballpark or whatever. And like, oh, I've got a great idea. Let's just give a let's give a press release to Darren Ravel and he'll do our, our marketing for us. So um, we've had we've had some beef with him. And uh, and recently it's been, you know, it's been a little bit better. But I, I, I still I'm a little bit wary of that guy. So I keep him at, at arm's length. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. 
These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Where do you come down on the Nathan Peterman versus Andrew Hawkins beef? What? Is that a oh, beef? I, that's, that's a beef. beef. What? What's the beef? Do you yeah. agree with me, Hawk, that that um, that the NFL was colluding against Nathan Peterman? Uh, not so much. I believe that touchdowns were colluding against Nathan Peterman. I believe that uh, completions were colluding against Nathan Peterman. I believe that high passer ratings might have been colluding against Nathan Peterman. Um, I believe Nathan yeah. Peterman was colluding with the defensive backs. There you go. There. Well, here's the thing about Nathan Peterman. He throws – this is now you can't even argue this point. He throws such a catchable spiral that the defenders <laughs> are more likely to intercept. You're gonna catch it. You're right. That is that's how tight the spiral is. Like so for example, Blake Bortles, um, you know, he doesn't he hasn't had as many interceptions over the last couple of years as he did before, and his spiral has never been like a super tight one. Um, so it can be actually a blessing to not throw a tight spiral. Um, and bl- speaking of beefs, anybody that has beef with Blake Bortles, we have beef with that person. You guys are hard <laughs> Blake's our guy. Why is that? He's Why a great guy. Blake Bortles so much. Honestly, just he's a great guy, and he's a friend, and he's the nicest person. He's funny. He's self-deprecating. He's just like a normal dude. And um, if you spend any time with him, you have to root for him because he's normal dude. Like your best friends. What's that? Aren't they all normal dudes? Yeah, I think deep down they all are, but some guys are more guarded. Some guys, uh, they, they're they not as fun and not as genuine, I think. they A lot of times, especially if you're an NFL quarterback, you have to – you think of yourself as like, okay, we're the face of the organization. Uh, we need to be almost a robot in everything that we do. And those guys, you know, good for them if they're looking after their money, their endorsements, I understand that, but they're not as fun to talk with or – or hang out with, and and uh, I'm going to be dry like Blake, or to a guy like Baker, who's you know a little bit more I feel genuine uh, than some of the more robotic guys. Do you think that's held Blake back during his career because he is very different personality wise than most of those quarterbacks that occupy the uh, you know the top spots in the league, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, the Peyton Manning's. Those guys are they are different, like you mentioned, they are the face of the franchise, and they. They do blow guys off like like uh, pardon my take and you know Tomahawk show. I we have beef with Kirk Cousins. You know last year at the Super Bowl we tried to get him to come on and he blew us off because he was the face of the franchise trying to become the next thirty million dollar a year quarterback. And well, it hasn't worked out great for him this year. But you see a lot of those guys having a lot of success and uh, they suck as human beings. But Blake's a good dude. Do you think that's held him back? I don't I don't know if it's held him back at all. I think that. Um... Like he certainly didn't have much help at the position, at least in the first couple of years he was in the league. And then um, I, I don't know what went on there with uh, with you know things that happened in the off season and uh, and how things changed for that organization this year. I don't know like the ins and outs and all the details. He, he definitely had a couple a couple of tough games. He had one or two good games uh, as well. And, and last year in the playoffs, I thought he played really really well against the Steelers, and I thought he played pretty good against the Patriots too. I mean, it's crazy to think that we were like a quarter away from having Blake Bortles being a, a starting Super Bowl quarterback. And that would have been amazing. I would have loved that. But no, I, I don't think it's about necessarily uh, his, you know, him being a good guy holding him back because there are other guys like Drew Brees is remarkably candid with people. 
Um, Jared Goff is another guy that that's, you know, he's friends of ours and, uh, or he's friends with us and, and he's obviously having a couple really nice years back to back here. Um, so I don't know if that's held Blake back at all. I think it's just, you know, a, a lot of swirling circumstances down in Jacksonville and, I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that he probably could have played a little bit better too at times, but no matter what, like we've got his back for life. I like that. I like the loyalty there. I, that doesn't worry me about Baker. I feel like Baker is too cool because quarterbacks yeah. typically aren't cool guys. Like deep down, they're either they're awkward. They are people you knew, typically don't get along with them very well. Just like really good quarterbacks. And Baker is really, really good, but he's also really, really cool. And it just worries me because I'm like, oh, man, you're just – you just seem too cool to be a quarterback. And uh-huh. that's that's the only thing that I, that's just holding me back from just anointing Baker the next up, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point. But then again, like if you look through the list of the Browns quarterbacks in the last like 15 years, um, who would you say? Did you ever have a cool quarterback then? Cool quarterbacks. No. Mm, oh, my God. that. You you like you like Josh McCown, Brian Hoyer. I feel like you guys got along pretty good. But I mean, like Hoyer was like he's a football head, right? Yeah. McCown is like really really cool, like probably too cool to be quarterback. Really, like to be like great here. Tom Brady style, like next level trans. He's too cool. He has too much going on. He's too aware. He that's a good point. To be really good at quarterback, you got to like give up everything else in your life and just be. I am only a quarterback. Like you got to become a football nerd almost. Like Aaron Rodgers is going to just stop talking to his family to be a great quarterback. That's commitment. There you go. Well, th- there's the recipe there. So it's a copycat league. If I'm a GM, I'm I'm drafting players and I'm saying, okay, you're going to either excommunicate your family or I'm only <laughs> drafting orphans. Uh, that's a great take. And you know what else is a great take is me and Hawk – fully agree that when the ball gets fumbled in the end zone by an offense, it is far too harsh to give the ball to the defense and put the ball on the 20 yard line. You went balls to the wall, all in saying that this was a good rule. And now it's your opportunity. We'll give you the first crack at it to tell us why it's a good rule and why we were wrong. Okay. It's not only a good rule. It's a great rule. It's one of the best rules. And and yeah, you guys were two of the first guys out there being like, Oh, it's the worst rule in sports. <laughs> Everybody seemed like they agreed with you. Well, here's why it's not the, the worst one sports. You mentioned that it, it punishes the offense too much, and you're looking at that like a true offensive player, uh, not seeing the other side of things. It's not about punishing the offense. It's about rewarding the defense for a great play. And at that point, if you can make a guy fumble the ball when they're about to score through the end zone, you should be rewarded for that in terms of getting the ball back. I think that it's uh, it's one of the best defensive plays that you can make if you can save a touchdown at the very last second. Um, you should be rewarded by getting the ball back. And every other rule change that's been put in place in like the last 25, 30 years of the NFL has been put in place to favor the offense. And I, I totally understand why. And I love watching, you know, high scoring games like we had with the Rams and the Chiefs. Like that's good football. It's fun. It's entertaining to watch. Everybody loves it. This is the one rule that the defense gets. Just let us have let the defense have this one. And I say us because you guys are probably familiar, but I played a little bit of scout team safety back in high school. So um this is like yeah and a little scout team fullback too, not to brag. Mm. Um but this is this is the one rule that we as defensive players have is the you know it favors us a little bit and that's okay to have one rule that favors us. A little bit. So, so that's number one. Number two is um, everybody's saying that, like, why are the rules different 
in the end zone. Whereas if you fumble the ball out of bounds in the field of play, you you know you retain possession. It just comes back to the point from where you fumbled it. Why does that change just because it goes out of bounds through the end zone? Well, things are different in the end zone. It's no man's land. It is a different place. The, the rules of time and space cease to exist in the end zone. Once you break the plane with a ball, if you're an offensive player, it's a touchdown. It doesn't matter if, if somebody knocks the ball out of your hands before you, uh, before you, you know, land on the ground. Once that ball crosses that line in any shape or form, it's a touchdown, okay? So if it's a different rule set for the offense on how you're able to – on what happens after you get into that space, it should also be a different rule for the defense on what happens to a ball that's fumbled through that space. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, I'll say – let me. I'm going to say a couple of points here that don't make sense, but anything on this podcast never does. Let's you go. said that you want the rule to – one rule to favor the defense. That's inconsistency. We don't need inconsistency in this league. Since all the rules favor the offense, they should mm, stay that way. Great point, that's number one. Great point, right, Joe? My mm. second point is you said there's a different set of rules in the end zone. If we fumble into your end zone and you get a touchback and the ball back, then when we fumble in our own end zone, I want you to eliminate safeties and then give us a ball back at the 20-yard line. So you can – but that doesn't make any sense. You could just run out of the back. Dan Orlovsky would be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL if that was the rule. Not if you not if you, you can't fumble on purpose. Like if I'm in my own if I'm going in, I can't fumble on purpose so someone else recovers it and jumps on it for a touchdown. That's illegal. Same way in our own end zone. We can't fumble on purpose, but if we do fumble, then and it goes up to the back of the end zone, then we should be able to get the ball on the twenty yard line then. And then we'll See, call this it. Is, this is classic. You know what? You sound less like a player and more like somebody on on the uh, the NFL competition committee, or actually from the NFL negotiating against the NFLPA right now, because you know that I have a very good rule. The the touchback <laughs> rule is good, but you're not going to let me have it unless I give up something in exchange. So yes. this is a this is a classic bullying negotiating tactic on your part, and I'm not I'm not even going to dignify it with a response. I'm going to play hardball. I like it. Well, I'm going to come back at you with a little bit of a pushback here. You, so the first point you said was uh, you like the rule because it rewards the defense for making a good play as the offense is trying to get into the end zone. But we've seen this a few times where players are going into the end zone and. Through nothing that the defense has done, they fumble the ball and it just rolls into the pylon or it rolls into the end zone. So the defense has not forced the fumble and they've not recovered the fumble, but they not only do they get the possession of the ball, but then they get 20 yards of field position. How do you defend that? Defend that very easily. And in that case, you're right. It's not about rewarding the defense. In that case, it's about embracing chaos. And chaos is good for the NFL. Chaos is fun. Any play that makes a bar filled with 40 guys stand up, put their hands on their head and go, holy shit, what just happened? Did you just see that? What is going on? That's crazy. That is good for the league. That's good for football. And when if it's if it's Deshaun Jackson dropping the ball when he goes in the end zone or um, who's a tight end, uh, Safarian Jenkins, he had a couple of those last year, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll go with yeah, it. Yeah, sure. What the hell? Uh, if, if it's no matter who it is, if there's somebody about to score a touchdown and then at the very last second, they screw everything up. Yeah, it sucks for that guy. But guess what? It is awesome to watch. It's entertaining to watch. It gets people talking about what happened. And it's just fun for the fans. So I, th- I think that that even plays, even if there's no forced fall by the defense. Well, See, this we was something. Call everyone's goal line plays then. If that's what we're looking for. If we just want people to say, oh, shit, I can't believe that happened. Pete Carroll should just call everybody's fourth and one plays in the entire NFL. 
Well, Daryl Bevel or just any guy with a shaved head and a goatee. No, Dan Ravel. I'll, I'll raise you one. Do you say Daryl <laughs> Bevel? I say Dan Ravel. <laughs> Listen, chaos is good in, in doses, okay? Um, there has to be structure around the chaos. I think this is actually the perfectly – it's a perfect cha- chaotic rule. Like, I love watching it. It gets everybody talking. It's fun. Like, I, I got so many tweets from people being like, well, that won me my fantasy uh, semifinals or lost my fantasy semifinals because they had the, the Panthers defense or whatever. Um, it's fun. I like the rule. I don't think it disproportionately hurts the offense. I think it, I think it helps the defense, and it rewards a play that is, uh, that, that's a remarkable play. Like, you look at the Seahawks. They've won a couple games over the last five years based just strictly off punching the ball out at the, at the last second, making a remarkable play. I think one was Earl Thomas. One was Cam Chancellor, I think. Uh, and those plays are incredible. Like the, the precision to punch a ball out when a guy's diving at the one-yard line, I think you reward that. And the, uh, the, the momentum shift that happens during a play like that is incredible, and it's fun for everybody watching at home. I'm, I'm dead set on defending this take. This is my hill that I'm going to die on. What about the tragedy? That's the one thing you're not covering. What about the family mm. who put their house up in a bet for this team to cover, and they didn't cover, oh and now they've lost their home, PFT? Have you thought about them? I have. Good point. Uh, we pay your salaries in the NFL, so I do think about the people <laughs> at home that, that are watching. It sucks when it happens to your team. It really, It's actually the worst play. So I, I totally understand why anybody has lost a game uh, on this rule, would absolutely hate it in the moment. But when it happens to any team that's not your team, it's awesome, and you love it, and you, you love watching teams lose like that. Now, yeah, I think I think that uh, casinos should offer some sort of insurance policy to cover a heartbreaking loss like this. Uh, maybe we can dip into the the veterans fund or something like that, and, and spread that around to the true heroes out there that are spending every Sunday gambling on your game and driving ratings. You're welcome, by the way. Uh, so there are ways to mitigate that. I agree. That's a good point, Hawk. And uh, through my leadership, we will take steps to remedy it. All right. So one of the things that I, I threw out there on Twitter was for all the people that are in your camp on this, that they love to reward the defense. They love how entertaining it is. And that even though the defense may not have done anything, they love how sacred the end zone is. Then I propose this rule and I want to hear your take on it. So when a team is kicking a field goal, if they make the field goal, they should get three points like, like it is right now. But if they miss the field goal, where do you fall on giving the defense those three points? Because that would make people in the bar go absolutely bananas. It gives an opportunity in like a two or a three-point game when the offense drives all the way down the field and there's only a few seconds left on the clock. They're going to have to think about twice about if they want to go for that field goal. Because if they miss, they could lose the game on a missed field goal. So if you want people going bananas in a bar over one play at the end of a game near the goal line, why don't we give the defense three points for every missed field goal? Before you answer, PFT, I like that. Yeah. Before you answer, are are either of you familiar with Canadian Football League rules? No, except they only get three downs. So I don't know if PFT. I'm moderately knows, familiar. I am a two-time Grey Cup champion. Like literally, I'm a, I'm a champion. So ever Pro, but he doesn't have two championship rings like three. I do. Montreal Alouettes, 09 and 2010. Listen, when in Canada, when you kick a field goal, obviously when you make it, it's three points. But if you miss it, the offense is still awarded one point if it goes out the back of the end zone. Really? If you're punting, right? So if you're punting and it goes in the end zone, you punt it out the end zone, the punt team gets a point. Any ball that goes out the back of the end zone in the possession of the other team gets a point. So there's no touchbacks. There's no Mm -hmm. fair catches. There's a five-yard halo rule. 
And then in the end zone, there's no, like, you can't take a knee. You either come out or you give the other team one point. So just putting that out there. So I think we should just change all the rules of American football and adopt Canadian football rules because it seems like that's more exciting. Let me ask you this. Is there a rule in Canada where if you fumble into your opponent's end zone, it's a touchback for the defense? Uh, no, I don't think that's a rule. But the end zone are also no, I like I like where we're going. Let's, let's just all play CFL you, football. The probability of you fumbling out of bounds in the end zone is very slim because the end zones are 20 yards long. So you could be on the five-yard line and throw a 24-yard pass for a touchdown oh. in Canada. Right. Right. I, I do like the big end zones just because they look hilarious. And I think there's a lot we could learn from the Canadian game, like maybe having uh, the ghost of Rob Ford show up at every game. Did you get to meet Rob Ford? I didn't get to meet Rob Ford, unfortunately. Uh, Rest in peace to the, to that's the good. A shame. That's, a, that, that's a tough break for you. Uh, I, to, to go back to your original question about um, the field goals being worth negative three if you miss, um, I, I'm not sure if I like that. I guarantee you that Mike Zimmer would just not have a kicker if that were the case. He wants to, <laughs> if he had his brothers, he would play without a kicker as is. Um, but I think you know there's a little bit of upside still to having a kicker for him. Uh, but if you if you make it negative points, you're going to see a lot fewer field goals attempted in general. I do like the idea of the minus one point. I think that's that's fair. It's like a little bit of risk uh, besides just field position. So I could get that. I could also get behind having a player over 300 pounds kicking a field goal count for four points Ooh, or maybe like even that. five. If you weigh, if you weigh over 300 and you make a field goal, it's worth five instead of three. I, um, I think that would, that would get a lot of people talking in the bar when you see a big boy. I mean, Sebastian Janikowski is like a, a, a winner break away from topping three bills right now. So <laughs> his leg would be invaluable at that point. Um, but yeah, I think, I think taking away three points or awarding three points team, might be uh although now i'm thinking about it from the gambling aspect and now it's like, you're, ne- you're never dead at that point I mean, uh, so i'm talking about, i'm talking myself into it right now and like, getting, like my heart rate's going i'm like yeah, yeah that could be good i mean how great would that be though like you know how much everybody hates it when the offense takes the ball down the field and let's say they're down by two and they go all the way to like the two yard line and then they just kneel on it two times and they kick a field goal to win. The outcome was never really in doubt. They're basically kicking something shorter than an extra point. It's so boring at the end, right? But give us some excitement at the end. If they miss that field goal, they lose the game, right? In a tie game. How great would that be? And Or maybe even add like a nine-point play, right? Maybe in the NFL or the NBA several years ago, they added the three-point line. Maybe we need to add like a 10-point play in the NFL. What do you think about that? Or an and one. What about an and one? So if a receiver catches a, a touchdown pass and he's being interfered with, it's worth know. an extra two points. I like that. I'm, I'm I all like, that I, one. I like that a lot, too. I, I just came up with that right now. Like, that is uh, – we, we, yeah. the- we should be on the NFL competition committee. Wow. Yeah. Or, you know what? I, I want to be on the XFL competition committee. I was going to say <laughs> AAF. I'm an AAF guy. Okay, we're we're all going to be uh, on different competition committees in the, in the nine different leagues that are springing up this offseason. I love it. All right, I think that's good, man. I think uh, when juggernauts come together like PMT and Tomahawk Show, you get fireworks, and that's what we all just witnessed. <laughs> PMT, man, we appreciate you joining us. We look forward to coming in person to join you and Big Cat and talk a lot of shit and show you why the Browns are the best organization in all of pro sports and why they've been America's team from the very start. But we appreciate you coming on and joining us here on the Tomahawk show, man. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me anytime.
And uh, real quick before we let you go, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Super Bowl plans for this year? Because for me, the highlight of my PMT relationship is always the sweet van opportunities that I have in the parking lot. And then if you're still around at night, they usually have a pretty kick-ass party. I don't think you realize yeah. what it sounds like, but go ahead. No, no, I know exactly. And he's right. Basically, oh, we get we get interviews by, by driving up next to people, hitting the brakes, opening the door and saying, just get in the van. <laughs> and then whoever has the balls to come in, they get to be interviewed by us. Um, it's like the, it's like the bang bus, except uh, more talking. Um, it's yeah, we're going to be bringing some sort of recreational vehicle or van down there. That's that's the plan down to Hotlanta. Um, and then we're going to have a party on Friday night, but it's going to be a little bit different this year. I don't think I can say I think we have an embargo is the media term for it. I don't I can't say exactly what the party is going to be oh. this year. Mm. You guys are both going to be invited to it. Um, but let's just say it's going to be a knockout. So you guys are going to love it. Ooh. Can we be part of the knockout? EFT, Big Cat, Hardstool mm-hmm. Sports Party. It's lit. Yeah, no, it's going to be nice. And then what I'm trying to do is is uh, get my band to gig down down Atlanta at some point during the week. I got this sweet little pop punk band uh, that we started as, as a joke like a year ago. Uh, but hopefully we can get a bar down there that will let us play uh, play 50 minutes or something during the week. So that would be fun too. Can you guys cover any trap songs, like Atlanta trap songs, your band? Oh, hell yeah. We're we're good friends with Sunny Digital. So uh, we did okay. Drink Paint. I don't know if you've heard that track. It's pretty no, good. Track. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're going to try to collab with him again, get back into the dungeon, see what's up. Uh, maybe, yeah. You know, I could see doing a little pop punk version of Hey Ya. Or maybe, uh, you know what? Throw Your Hands in the Air would be a solid pop punk song. It would be. Um, just really anything going back in the day with with uh, the east side boys so we'll have to get in the lab and figure something out love it man love it all right pft we appreciate you joining us man until next time all right thanks guys all right that was pft man that was a fun interview always always good when the pmt guys come on remember early on in this podcast we had a huge rivalry with them that we manufactured in order to um, scavy off of their listeners and subscribers and it worked and here we are as the number one sports podcast in history um, based on that incredible business tactic we use so it was good to finally get them on the show and kind of set something up for the future I, I feel like there's going to be big things between us in the future well I think that what we need to do is they, they're really famous for this rough and rowdy uh, concept that they put together where they have amateurs boxing and just beating the crap out of each other I think what we need to do is to settle this beef. We need to have a rough and rowdy Tomahawk versus PMT. Because wow. I feel like we match up pretty good. Like as far as yeah. weight and height, me and Big Cat are pretty similar. We're both badgers. We both got that background. But as far as fight and weight, I think we're pretty similar. You right. and PFT are about the same height and same weight. You guys are both short, stocky fullbacks with a lot of scout yeah. team in your, uh, scout team your in our, history. In past. Yes. So I, think, I think that's a pretty fair matchup. And I think the Vegas line would probably be pretty even. So I think this is something that we need to put together and, and make it a pay-per-view event. Who does, uh, who does Natalie fight? I feel like she could um, just be the coach. Like the, the person that um, puts the the Vaseline on your face. You know, so that Vaseline our like faces. the cut girl. She's the cut girl, right? They have the yeah. cut person that um They pour you know, water fixes. on your head. And then yeah. Yeah. D yeah. and Zerm wear the bikinis and they yes. do the round thing. Zerm the... is the ring card girl. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, they're the ring girls. Zerm How did you guys know what I had always dreamt of doing my entire life? Wow. We figured Why? that out when you talked about your dream job of being a urine collector. Look, I said six figures, guys. Six figures, all right. Is T D our Don King? Is he our promoter? Um T D. I don't know about his promotion skills, man. I don't know. Oh, do, do we have to, oh, 
we've got to talk about DraftKings. Yeah, that's what oh, we forget. Yeah, we we do. do forget. Oh, shit. All right, so, so Natalie finished ninth overall in the DraftKings League, which is – who did you – First of all, yeah. can Joe I just does, say Joe doesn't believe it. Why? No one does. Why is everybody? I never once said that anybody helped me. I'm not saying they did or didn't right now. Oh, 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 there it is. I, <laughs> I never once said that anyone helped me with my lineup. And literally, Joe, Hawk, TD, Zerm, and everybody on Twitter is like, who picked her lineup? She's this lying. is sexist because I don't oh, understand wow. why the everyone's sexism card coming I out. can't pick. The I S can't pick my own lineup. You accused What's wrong? us of the S card. You told us in previous weeks that someone picked your lineup. <laughs> and you told me you were mad because they actually picked your lineup differently than theirs, and they did good. And I did so bad those weeks. So, <laughs> so that's what we think? got, that you got it from somebody else because you told us that someone else picked your lineup. And yeah, then you, you said Nat, you kept offering. So that's what look. happened. You snitched on yourself. Don't S card us. Technically, I picked my own lineup. I entered <laughs> technically. my technically I did. This is a sham. I picked my own lineup and I was the one that pressed enter on the contest. And it's I was no the one surprise. that picked the players. It's, it's no surprise to me that the pot smoking millennial would oh would be God. a part of the blame me culture. And she forgot. By everybody the way. else is sexist because we're doing, we're blaming you and accusing you of something that you admitted to doing in weeks past. <laughs> Anyways, so, I did get it? ninth place. You get the coffee maker, Joe. Did she get the coffee maker? So, I, I was going to bring this up at the beginning, but the reason I talked about the weather is because that was the only thing that was keeping me happy this week. That was the only bright spot because now it's official that after doing close to a hundred podcasts, I have now lost money on this podcast. <laughs> I have yet to make a single dollar and I have actually had to pay out a multi-thousand dollar coffee maker to one of the members of the Tomahawk show. And it's a very, very sad week. And not only that, it's almost Christmas and I'm paying people to do a podcast. <laughs> Joe is now in debt officially yeah. from the Tomahawk show. Listen, man, every good business now starts in debt. My kids can't go debt. to college. Thanks, Nat. Mm, Nat, who picked your lineup? Now you can tell us. Come for who picked the players so, on your team? I'm not going to tell you who picked it because no one picked it. I was given <laughs> options. So I picked <laughs> the players out of options of players. <laughs> who gave you the options? I can't tell you that information. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So she gets the she gets the coffee maker. Congratulations to Nat. Congratulations to her mystery GM, whoever you are. Um, other finishes in, in the in the fantasy league, the Tomahawk Listener League. Tayorf? He's Tauf. He is a repeat winner. Two God, first two time winner. He's won it twice. He should pick your lineup. He would get you <laughs> 73 bucks to boot. It wouldn't have taken um, you 16 weeks to win if you would have listened to Tower for a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nat finished with 141. Uh, she gets the coffee maker. Joe finished 165th, 89.80. And I tied with Joe at 165th at so 89.80. The most 80. amazing thing that happened this week was not that Natalie finished in the top 10 <laughs> with help from her friends. The fact that me and Hawk had different lineups and had the exact same score the, the probability of that has to be less than the probability of Eric Reed being randomly drug tested seven well, times in 11 weeks. Not Get really. Get the mathematician on. If, if by different lineups you mean I picked exactly who you picked when you tweeted it out, that's why we got the same. Are you serious? Score. You did that? 
no way. Why would it you was, do that? You know I suck at DraftKings. It was crunch time. I didn't have time to like pick. So it was like three minutes left to get a team in. So I just copied your team. Oh, my God. That's horrible. And, of course. I wish I would have copied Nats or whoever picked Nats. Whatever that's that not like. nearly as bad as Mr. Furman, the Furminator, once again. Dude, you are an embarrassment. to put in a lineup. I bet I, you he did his lineup for his other podcast. <laughs> I had seven podcasts to do. I couldn't get to the lineup. Yeah. Our league is the one he decided not to put a lineup in for. Uh, these All next right. two weeks, guys, I'm coming back with a vengeance. Don't you worry. Yeah, First yeah, place, yeah. it's mine. All right. Well, anyways, I think that's about it for today's show. Make sure you tweet us using the hashtag Tomahawk. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tomahawk Show. Why don't you give us a little bit of your opinion on what coffee maker we should buy for Nat because we now owe her something. And unlike the jersey bet that uh, Mr. Hawkins welched on, we are going to pay up on this (laughs) bet for the first time in Tomahawk Show history. And we're going to get Nat her coffee maker. She may not have any furniture in her apartment. She may not be able to afford internet, but we're going to get her that damn $1,000 coffee maker if it's the last thing that happens on earth. So let us know what you think. Let us know what coffee maker we should get Nat. Subscribe and rate us five stars. Hope you enjoyed the great guest we had on today, PFT from Pardon My Take. And let us know if you think we should do that uh, podcast rough and rowdy, Tomahawk Show versus PMT. I think it'd be a very fair fight. I think it would be highly rated and we'd probably be able to retire from the podcast game because of all the, mm. all the pay-per-view dollars. It'd be like Mayweather versus Pacquiao part seven. <laughs> I think that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Hawk, any final thoughts? Um, Final thoughts. Nat's full of shit. <laughs> Nat, take us out. Joe, Hawk yourself. <laughs>